Hey guys, this is Pastor Zach, and you are listening to Sermon Notes here at HPC. Hey, listen, turn with me to 1 Samuel, and this is so important because um, today we're going to talk about some things that are a little bit cliche. Um, and how many of you guys know, like, that? that is school, right? That's, that's the most annoying thing about the King's Academy. When the Lord is bringing you through a thing, you're like, God, I already know this. How many of you guys have like those review things in school? And you know, I know for my, for my kids, Sawyer especially, he hates showing his work. So if you're a math teacher in here, you know, just remember that. I just want to remind you, not that you need reminding, but kids hate showing their work. And if they can just do the answer in their head and... and the teacher's like, no, I need you to, I need to see how you came to this conclusion. How many of you guys know the Lord does the same thing? I think a lot of times we feel like because we know the cliche answer and we just have it in our head that we will escape doing the work that it takes to get to the real version of that. And so you guys weren't ready for that deep of a point already this, this early in the message. So thank you, babe. <laughs> He's such a jerk. So the thing is, is that the thing is, is that we we want to jump to the conclusion because you hear me harp on it all the time. We've got it on T-shirts and bumper stickers and in Christian songs, and we know uh, we know we're supposed to be the hands and feet of Jesus or something like that. You know, we 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 jump to these one-liners that that uh, can sum up certain aspects or facets or attributes of our faith, and so we immediately go to that. Like healing is a perfect example. We know our God's a healer. We know he'll heal us. We sing songs about it. We believe it. And so we want to jump to the answer at the bottom of the page. And the Lord is like, yep, that is the answer. But show me your work. Do the work. Do the work. Put the time in. Do, do, do the, the background. Do the research Spend the time, log the hours on your knees with me. That's what he wants. He doesn't care that you know the answer. You know what I'm saying? The world knows the answer. The world knows the answer. They're just, they're just going through other means to try to get to it. They're doing different works. But for us, our work is with him. Our time is digging in the things of the Spirit, digging into the supernet, digging into the things of the Father to find out, okay, Lord, how is it that you want to arrive at this place? So as we go through a couple of these final answers at the bottom of the sheet, a couple of these could be cliches, I want to ask you in your own life, do the work, okay? So chapters 24 and chapters 26 are um, two of just the most incredible interactions between David and Saul. And uh, just so you know, um, leading up to these chapters, David's first interaction with Saul was not actually when Saul tries to give him his armor. David's first interaction was when um, Saul was being tormented by an evil spirit. And which, by the way, if you want to give yourself a headache trying to think about theology, get into some of this story, okay? We're not going to go there today. But Saul... Um, the Word of God says that the, the Holy Spirit departed from Saul. And in the Holy Spirit's absence, um, evil spirits were sent to torment him. And as he's, tormenting, as he's being tormented, he says he needs a musician in his court. Saul's the king of Israel. He needs a musician in his court to um, play soft music to soothe his soul. Um, 
And so somebody says, well, I know this young man, David, and he can give you the B-boys and soothe your soul. And uh, and so he, so he gets into uh, the throne room that way. They say, hey, there's this young kid. He does nothing but play the harp all day out in the field with sheep. Um, he's a little weird, but, you know, if you just put him in a corner somewhere and let him play, I'm telling you, you're going to feel better at the end of the day. So sure enough, they bring him in. And twice over the course of David playing in Saul's courts, does Saul hurl a spear at David? One of those times, it says that it sticks in the wall behind him. And, and narrowly dodges him. So that, th those are really David's first encounters with Saul, right? Is, is playing um, music as a, as a service, as a servant in the, the king's courts. So as Goliath happens and then the Philistines happen and David, as he goes through the king's academy and as he um, uh, climbs this sort of mountain that the Lord has placed in front of him, uh, he becomes a hero, not just in the eyes of God, but in the eyes of man as well. And so I, I think that it's really important to understand this. You know, we talk a lot about favor, 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 favor. Um, maybe not at this church, but in Christianity and evangelical Pentecostal traditions, we talk about favor. And we love favor because it means that, like, good things are going to happen to us. Like, we can sing, like, you are good all the time. Jesse, I saw you cutting a little rug over here. Getting down to that all the time. You are good. I was like, somebody slow this girl down. But I want to tell you something. The word of God says that a man's gifts will bring him before kings, but it doesn't say that the kings are going to like him. And sometimes we've got we've to understand that no matter how charming or no matter how like, wonderful we are, there is no promise that the world is going to love us. We're going to jump into Daniel. We're going to be talking about Daniel and the three brothers, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We're not going to go there. But I think of these men who are living in Babylon in much the same way that we're living in these United States of Babylon today. And I, I feel like we, we like the idea that as believers, if we're really walking in the Spirit, everybody's going to love us. The truth is, is that like David... Our gifts may bring us before kings. We may be able to offer a service that can bring comfort and hope and joy, like with the opening of a school and the opening of a, of a health and wellness center and, and just being a church, period, giving soup out uh, or, or whatever for different things. Um, but at the end of the day, saints, the word is that our gifts will bring us before kings, but that it doesn't mean kings are going to like us. And so when spears get hurled at you, when things get thrown at you, when your life is threatened, don't back down. Don't get intimidated. All right, and we're not even to the point yet. We've got to get in here. So 24 and 26 are two really cool stories, and they go like this. Somebody comes up to Saul and says to Saul, hey, Saul, we found David. We know that you're trying to do away with this kid. We found him. He's hidden in the hills of such and such. Okay, so David gathers 3,000, okay, 3,000 men to go out and search for David and kill him. Well, uh, David gets wind of it, and so he and his guys, 600 or so guys, 
Uh, they are um, stealth and they're excellent in, in military tactics and warfare. And David is an incredible strategist. And more importantly, he is a man after God's own heart. And so the Lord is whispering things to him about what to do and when to do it. And so as Saul and his men, this happens two times, once in 24, once in 26. I'm going to read to you out of 24, and then we'll probably just paraphrase 26. So Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, and he was told, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all of Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the rocks of the wild goats. He came to the sheepfolds on the way where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the inner recesses of the cave. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> when the word says that a man's gifts will bring him before kings, that's not probably what David had in mind, was that he was going to be hidden in the recesses of the bathroom while Saul came in to relieve himself. But hey, sometimes you got to take what you can get. While Saul is in there going to the bathroom, David arose and cut off, but I want to read to you actually before we get there, verse 4. The men of David said to him, Behold, this is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I'm about to give you your enemy into your hand. <laughs> Somebody, somebody's like, Oh, David, this, it couldn't be any easier than this. Saul just left his 3,000 guys. He just came in this cave. We're sitting in here right now. The guy's like, Literally with his pants down. You got him with his pants down. Literally. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm going to start apologizing to you. Verse 5 says, it came about afterward. Watch this. Oh, so David arose and cut off the edge of Saul's robe discreetly. That means Saul didn't even know. That's how stealth the dude was. Okay. He cut off the edge of his robe so he said to his men, far be it from me because the Lord that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him since he is the Lord's anointed. Verse 7 says, David persuaded his men with these words. We're going to talk about integrity for a few minutes this morning. And integrity is, by definition, it's the refusal to back down from a set of moral standards or a code of ethics. It's refusing to do anything less than what you believe is right, what your convictions have predetermined for you is acceptable or not. Integrity is when you adhere yourself to that code, to those principles, to those truths. And in, in chapter 24 and chapter 26, the thing that I want to point out is that his men are the ones to encourage him to kill Saul. I think a lot of times when we think about integrity, we think that it's, it's our enemy that's challenging our integrity. Right? Why? Because it's like, well, if somebody's out to kill me, then I should kill them in self-defense. We should fight fire with fire, right? But what's interesting is it wasn't Saul that was tempting David to kill him. It was David's own men. It was the brothers in arms, the ones who'd been defending his life, the ones who'd been fighting for him against the Philistines. And so their natural, uh, you know, their natural propensity is going to be to say, David, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad. David, this is the day he's got guys are handed right into your hands. This is it. 
except it probably sounded like whispers because they're hiding in a cave. And I want to put this out here because I think sometimes our guard is up more as believers, or it should be at least. Our guard is up more. This button's wrong, dumb here. Um, our guard is up more with the world, with what we've determined to be against us. But sometimes when it comes to our own brothers and sisters, the ones who we would normally go to to seek advice and counsel, that's why advice and counsel, it's so critical where we get it. Because sometimes the ones who love you the most are the ones who are going to give you slightly skewed wisdom, slightly skewed counsel. Some of you guys have been there before. I've, fat, I've sat, Ashley and I have sat in our office and, and, and to counsel people, and, and a lot of the work is to undo what awesome, godly men and women in their lives have told them. We're trying to undo that stuff. Because there's this other thing, there's this other response mechanism that's been built up inside of them, not by the world, but by the people who are saying, now's your chance, take it. So why were they telling him? Because again, Saul was out to kill him. The fight fire with fire. Integrity, saints, if you're writing things down, is the refusal to match your standards to your opponents and instead match them to the Lord's. The refusal to match your standards to your opponents. Sometimes, if you're, um, you know, we had a prayer in here a couple weeks ago for business owners and entrepreneurs and um, dream carriers and vision casters for good ideas and, and ways that God's using the church to minister to the world. Um, but I think of business when I think of this. I think of, because in some ways, leading a church is a, a little bit like leading a business in the sense that you're constantly aware of what all the other churches are doing because everyone's always telling you. And I think I saw Colton in here this morning, and he's got um, a handful of the uh, tropical smoothies. I know there's some contractors and some construction um, businesses in here this morning. I know there's some cleaning businesses present in the room, and I know that there's um, some private sales and, and di just different things like that um, that are represented in these chairs and rows this morning. And I know that I know that you're aware of how everybody else is doing. It's the competition clause. We have to know. And if we don't want to know, somebody's there to tell us. There's some email waiting in your inbox from your superior saying, this store is doing this much better than you. And uh, it's kind of like the mail from the, the energy company that's like, you've used 73% more electricity than all of your neighbors. Does, does everybody get the same one? By a show of hands, who's using more than your neighbors? You know why? Because the power of God is present in your home. I am using more power in this house. There's something inside me that wants to write a letter and be like, y'all are making money off this, right? So why are you trying to tell me to use less? But anyway, probably has something to do with solar panels. But anyway, the point is this, to stay competitive in business, or maybe even just to keep up with the Joneses, the people across the street, whatever's going on, there's this thing that tempts us to 
sacrifice a little bit of our integrity because integrity you can't really see in exchange for some gain that is tangibly obtainable. And I want to encourage you guys that integrity, no matter how justified we can be in it, right? Well, you know, the people across the street got this and, you know, they're doing this. You know, they, 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 they started working on Sundays um, to send their kid to college. And, and now, look, they get to go to a good college. And so, honey, we should, probably, we should probably pick up Sunday shifts. You know, we can watch online. Guys, integrity has nothing to do with being justified. I'll say that again. Integrity has nothing to do with being justified. If we're on the world's sliding scale of fair, I mean, just the word justice is almost a joke. So if we're going to find some way to justify a decision that compromises our integrity, and when I say integrity, I don't mean like, you know, some good moral code that your, you know, that your community club had you sign when you joined. No, I mean the conviction of the Holy Spirit because that's our code, that's our standard, right? That's our, that's our compass is the Holy Spirit and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And so if we're compromising any of that in order to whatever, we're already losing. Integrity has nothing to do with being justified. It has everything to do with being sanctified. Because the more that we're discerning and surrendered and sensitive to the work of the Holy Spirit, the more that we're saying, wait a minute, uh, okay, the Lord wants this from me, or the Lord doesn't want that from me, or I've been doing this for the last 20 years on my taxes, and now the Lord wants me to do what? You know how much less I'm going to get? See, Barbara, <laughs> I just, uh, I just, I want to, I want us to take this to the bank. Actually, perfect example. I mean, I probably talk about Chick-fil-A too much up here, but I mean, Jonas hooks me up, so it's probably a fair trade. Chick-fil-A is like, as far as I know, I think one of the only fast food places that doesn't open Sundays. And their margins are like exponentially greater. Why? Because way back when, when everyone was compromising their integrity as business owners, by the way, that didn't just go for Christians. It used to be that the world just knew that you respected Sunday. And, and I think that you know, we, we've found ways to compromise those things. We've found ways to compromise the integrity of what should be the conviction to gather with other believers and worship together because that's what the Father says to do. And so we've, we've blocked out giant chunks of the year to dedicate them to sports or to dedicate them to business, or to dedicate them to making money, or to get, dedicate them to vacation or something else. Why? Because there's this thing in us that wants that obtainable, tangible thing. David did take something obtainable that day. He took a little piece of the robe. But let's keep moving. 
The next thing that happens is uh, two chapters later, 26 rolls around and uh, it, it shifts a little bit. Same deal. Saul hears he's somewhere, takes 3,000 men, goes after him. But this time, while Saul and all his men, now it's not just Saul in a cave, now it's Saul and all of his men. And when you camp around a king in battle, the king is in the middle. And then concentrically outward to the proportion of, to, uh, and degree of the fighter that they are, there's a 3,000 guys deep that you have to get in to get to him, okay? So he's the guy sleeping there, and then intense all around him would be his guard, the, the secret service of the Israeli fighting force, and then outward all the way out to, you know, the, the cook or whatever. <laughs> Although I think they protected that guy. Um, and that night, as Saul camped and his men were sleeping around him, David and his men, again, take note, sneak in, all stealth, and again, his men say, now's your chance. We can do this. We can do it quick. We don't have to make a mess. Let's just get this thing over with so we don't have to talk about Saul anymore. But instead, David says something very similar. He says, who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be without guilt? This is where all the old school pastors, when, when people would challenge them, they'd be like, touch not the Lord's anointed. You remember that? Yeah. I would try that here, but y'all wouldn't let me get away with it. I know. I just know I would try it, but I feel like I've got too many people in the house that would just be like, you're joking, right? But David does something different this time. He takes two things. He takes his spear, and he takes his water jug, and he sneaks quietly out. Now, both times... After the robe and after this night, the next morning, David gets far enough away up a hill on the opposite side of a valley and calls out to Saul and his men and says, hey, he says, just so you know, I had the chance to kill you last night and I didn't do it. I just want you to know that you're out here to kill me. And I had the opportunity to take your life, and I didn't. I just took this little piece of your robe instead, and I'm willing to give it back. He does the same thing. Hey, go ahead and send one of your people over here because I have your spear. If you're looking for your spear, oh, yes, and your Nalgene bottle, I have that too. I have your Yeti with your name engraved on it. It's yours. Everybody knows it. Once we have a foundation of integrity we can start to talk about honor. Once you pass the quiz at the end of the integrity chapter, we can start to talk about honor. Honor, by definition, is the acknowledgement of value. It's the awareness of worth. And when David says in both cases, are you kidding me? Can you imagine the guilt that would be on my head if I touched the Lord's anointed? What David was doing is he was calling the attention of his men past the sins of Saul, past the transgressions 
and the offenses of Saul, and he was calling their attention to the anointing that was on his life. They were call- he was calling their attention to the value. It was an act of honor. Honor. The recognition of value, regardless of its implication. David would not touch the Lord's anointed. And I feel like what's so powerful about this is in both cases, David's honoring of Saul reconnected him to the anointing God had on his life. Both times, Saul, as soon as he realizes what happened and he looks down, he's like, oh my God, he was here. He carved his initials in my robe. Oh my gosh, my sword and my jaw. Are you kidding me? You're all fired. You're all fired. That kid got in here in the middle of the, oh my God. And now what's he saying? That he had the chance to kill me. When it got real for Saul, his heart sank. And both times, his response is, what have I done? What am I doing? Now, does Saul ever like really get right? No, he doesn't. But the point is this, that the honor that was shown to that man drew him back to the fact that God had anointed and appointed him king of Israel. And saints, we have believed the lie of the enemy if we think that we are going to achieve a desired result through dishonor. Because dishonor, contrary, in opposition to honor, dishonor pulls someone further away from their anointing and purpose. It, it draws them away from it and, and, and into more of the mess that they were already in to begin with. We have to rise up and do the kingdom thing. The kingdom thing is that when the guy's out to kill you, you're still calling him king. My Lord, what am I to you? Instead of trying to rise up and overpower it. This is something that um, our country got tragically wrong over these last few seasons. You see, we, we'll do something like this. We'll take inventory of some mistakes that were made by somebody somewhere, anywhere. And we will immediately respond with dishonor. I think of the defund the police campaign and the way that as a nation, an entire movement turned to dishonor law enforcement officers. And honestly, like I live in Rehoboth and I was nervous that I'm like, man, has anybody thought far enough down the road to know what happens if there aren't any police? Well, forget about that for just a second. That's kind of scary. But the problem was, is that while, yes, there are some police officers who abuse authority, and yes, there is everybody in authority who abuses some authority. The point is this. When we dishonor anyone, we pull them further away from their purpose and call. We're now creating in them a whole nother agenda to defend themselves against us. Rather than saying no. You know what? That was a mistake, but we honor you. And we restore you. Because as believers, we have that power. We walk in that purpose. And that becomes, heaven's agenda becomes our agenda to get everyone in their purpose. Have you ever heard the saying, you get more flies with honey than you do vinegar? I think sometimes vinegar is our go-to. Vinegar is our response 
mechanism. But it's not heaven's. It's the world's. Honor. Honor. The honoring of authority. Now, the only time honor becomes a problem is when it is not on a foundation of integrity. Because when it's not, I feel like it's real quiet in here. Are y'all all right with what we're going through? Okay, okay. But I mean, I just know that there's some hard stuff because we're not just going to say honor and integrity. We're going to talk about what it really is and what it challenges within us. And I want to say this back to the order because everything's order, right? I'm just going to keep saying that. Everything's order, 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 order. Well, there's also this thing where we use honor as a means to justify a compromise in our integrity. If we don't have a firm foundation in integrity, then honor just becomes a way to get around having to do what we know in our heart of hearts is the right thing to do. And that's why you've got to pass the test at the end of the integrity chapter. Because otherwise, we'll say this, well, Zach, we need to be honoring of our government or we need to be honoring of our whoever's in authority, whoever's in power. And so that means doing every single thing they tell you to do, doesn't it? Isn't that honoring? Well, not when it chafes with what our convictions are. Not when it causes a problem for our integrity. So I get that this stuff is hard, and I'm only telling you this because I love you. Trust me, it hurts me, then it hurts you. Hurts me a lot more than it hurts you. And it will afterward, too, with the emails. But the last lesson, when we get integrity and honor in place in our lives, the last lesson is confrontation. Jackie Santos said a while back that um, she had a word for the house, and she said that this would become a house of confrontation. <laughs> and the staff was all like, ooh, yay. <laughs> We're like, no. Can you do that somewhere else, please? Confrontation by itself is not always good, but on a foundation of integrity and honor, it becomes one of the raw materials of revival. Confrontation. Confr well, what's the difference, Zach? What's the difference? Well, isn't confrontation confrontation? No, it's not. The difference is, in the natural, confrontation is for the confronter. In the natural. When I'm being driven by my flesh and I want to confront Brandon DePina because he messed up on the bass guitar, right? It's for me. It's to satisfy something in me. It's because I think I'm better than that and I deserve that note to be played right and usually I'll do something like that and find out that I was wrong actually and Brandon was playing it right and then it's like a counter confrontational thing that happens but anyway I just appreciate your grace with that the point is this when it's done in the spirit confrontation is for the confronted in the natural, because in the natural, everything we do is for ourselves, right? Somehow, even when it looks like it's for somebody else, somehow, even when we can dress it up real good and sugarcoat it, like, I'm just going to do you a favor by telling you everything in your life that's wrong. Um, because that's a favor, right? That's what the, the Lord would do. But really, it's for me. It does something in my flesh. It satisfies something in me. But spirit-led kingdom confrontation, kingdom confrontation, it's got nothing to do with me. 
I'm a vessel, I'm a puppet for the Holy Spirit to address something for the confronted, the confronted. You see, David risked his life to show Saul that he wouldn't take his. Sneaking into that camp, approaching him in that cave, David risked his life. It clearly was not about David. It was clearly that the, that the Lord wanted to use David in order to get Saul's attention. Number one, through uncompromised integrity. Number two, through honor. To say, I'm still acknowledging you as king. I'm still calling you my master. I'm still calling myself, and he literally does it, a flea in your presence. David says, what am I but a flea to the king, my lord, my master? It wasn't about David, it was about Saul. But I want to close with this this morning. Because leaving Saul with his life, by leaving Saul with his life, what he obtained was so much greater. The Lord showed me something in this for the very first time ever. I never saw it before. But I, uh, as I'm reading it, I'm thinking, isn't this interesting? He takes a piece of his robe his sword, and his yeti. He leaves Saul with his life, but what he takes, and I don't think David meant to do this for this purpose. I don't think this was what was happening, but I think the Lord was doing something prophetically in this act, that as he walks away out of that cave with a scrap of Saul's, by the way, not just any robe, Remember Jonathan's armor and his shirt that we talked about last week? Saul's robe would have been of the finest material. It said king all over it. It had like Louis Vuitton symbols on it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> David takes that piece. And what the Lord granted him because he spared Saul's life because of his integrity and his honor, that confrontation brought to him his first piece of that royal robe a robe that he would be wearing one day, a robe that he wasn't going to kill the king and go ahead and take it right now, even though he could have. He said, no, I'm going to wait till I graduate. I've got more left to learn. I'm just a freshman. And so in that robe, he obtained something so much greater. The next scene unfolds and we see the spear David getting a hold of that spear. Do you know how tempting it would have been with that spear in his hand? His ears still ringing from the time that that very spear hit the wall right next to him. And he sees that spear and he's like, God, you are playing some kind of cruel trick on me that I have this spear right now. And I can shish kebab this dude right to the ground. I can do it right now. I'll do it right now. Let me do it right now. No. Touch not the integrity and the honor. Instead of taking Saul's life, he took from him the weapon that was used against him. And saints, I want to tell you something this morning. When we walk in integrity, uncompromised integrity, to our convictions 
I believe in self-governance. I believe this nation was founded on the principle of self-governance. And I believe that by the infilling of the Holy Spirit, that believers today should be walking with self-governance. You don't need a pastor to sanctify you. You don't need a, a, a president or a governor or a mayor or a city councilman to tell you what to do. The Holy Spirit lives in your heart, in your soul. And when he's at the wheel, we don't need anything else dictating that. Now, with that said, that integrity has to be followed by honor. Where, yes, we are, I'm going to say it again, yes, we are acknowledging the value and the worth. But there is a way to honorably disagree. There is a way to honorably confront. And when we honorably confront with integrity, what we come away with is something so much greater than just when we solve our immediate problem by getting something off our chest. He took the robe and he took the spear. And that would mark, by the way, the last time that Saul would threaten David's life. He would never get close again. Saul was going to die in battle. He was scheduled in heaven to die in battle just a few chapters later. The last thing he took was a cruise of water, a jug. And I love this. I love this picture. And as I was wrestling with the Lord, I'm like, God, what does this even mean? What is this? He took his water. Like, are we just supposed to say this was his sustenance in battle or something? What is, what is this? Something good. I don't know. You got something in here. The Lord's like, dig deeper. Either that or it was Ashley because her voice sometimes, you know. When, when I've got too much smoke coming back in the house from the wood stove, I'm like, James Earl Jones, is that you? Dig deeper. So here's something cool. There's like a ton of words that translate in the Hebrew as vessel or pitcher or cup or jug, or bowl, or flask, or whatever. There's a ton of words. This one is only used a handful of times. It's used in reference to the prophet and the widow and the oil that keeps coming because it's really a word for a container of oil more so than a container of water. The only other time that it's used as a container of water is when Elijah was running for his life and he ends up in a cave himself. And an angel of the Lord comes to minister to him and some bread is baked and a drink of water is ready for him. And that water is in this word. And I felt like the Lord draw my attention to this thing. If you know the story of Elijah, then you know that this was a turning point. Elijah was a man of fearlessness who had operated in incredible signs and wonders and carried out the work of the Father with obedience and submission and surrender and done all these crazy, awesome things. But near the end of his ministry, he gets scared and he runs from 
a woman named Jezebel. And when he does so, he forfeits something. He forfeits a little bit of integrity. He forfeits a little bit of honor. And what shows up as not his last meal, but as in this case of the angel of the Lord coming to minister to him, it's water in a vessel that should be holding oil. You see, that was Saul's problem. He had brought water to an oil fight. Because this wasn't a war between wit or, or military strategy. This was that the anointing of these two men was hanging in the balance and Saul's was found wanting. Saul's picture, that word, it literally means, it comes from an unused Hebrew word that literally means to expand. What David took from Saul that day, now that he had his royal robe and his spear, what he took from the enemy, what he took from his predecessor, from a generation before him, was a missed opportunity to expand a missed opportunity to carry the anointing and instead just carry water. And saints, I want to encourage you today that confrontation on our part, it is not about us. It's not about making yourself feel better or so you sleep better at night. It's not about any of that. It's, it, it will only happen right when we care more about the one we're confronting than we do about ourselves. When like David, we would risk our life to tell them that we're not gonna take theirs. Confrontation works on that integrity and on that honor when it's in place. But what we come away from in the King's Academy, what we come away from when we've been betrayed and backstabbed and turned on, and man, I, think, I feel like I've got a PhD in that stuff. When, it, when the whole world seems like it's turned against you and, and the man who you call master and, and king, your authority is out for your head. When we confront the right way, the king's way, heaven's way, what we obtain is far greater. Let's stand to our feet. We're gonna close in prayer. I think if he had allowed Saul to live that, or if he had taken Saul's life that day, instead of the spear and the jug, if he had taken Saul's life, I think he may have compromised something that was, that was really meant to be his instead. God was proving something to Saul, and that was that, Saul, you carry with you the ability to expand, to grow. Remember the tent pegs and the, the cords and the stakes. By right of the anointing that is on your life, sons and daughters of God, by right of the call of God, you carry with you the opportunity to expand. Don't compromise it. Don't sacrifice it. But walk according to what it is that the Holy Spirit's telling us to do. So Father, we thank you Lord, we thank you uh, that 
Lord, you, you don't just say, hey, be integral and be honorable, but Lord, that instead you, you empower us by your spirit to do these things supernaturally. God, so that we don't live our lives in just a way that looks good to the neighbors or, you know, to the uh, folks in our workplace, but God, that we, we live our lives in such a way that behind the scenes, behind the curtain, the stuff in the file, in the filing cabinet that maybe nobody will ever see but you, Lord, that even that stuff is held in check. That even that stuff that's filed away in the recesses of our mind is held in check. It's held accountable by your spirit. So God, I pray that that your bride would walk with uncompromised integrity and unwavering honor that you would give us eyes to see the value in those around us. And that instead of trying to make a point or make a statement by, by shunning somebody or, or tweeting about somebody or, or posting about somebody, some nasty, quippy, sharp thing. God, I pray that instead of that, Lord, that what would be found in us is, Lord, hard honor, hard honor. God, a a decision and a surrender to honor those upon whom you have placed your hand, your finger. Lord, that we would walk that line of not compromising integrity and unwavering honor so that our confrontations can be beneficial and advantageous to the kingdom. May we expand, God, in ways that the prior generation hasn't. May we carry the weapons and the royalty in a way that the prior generations haven't. May our confrontations be pure. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, God bless you guys. Have the best day of your lives, and we'll see you next week. This is Pastor Zach, and you've been listening to HPC Sermon Notes. Love you guys. God bless you, and have the best day of your life.